Hello everyone, I am Mosibel and this is the Mosibel podcast. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Mosible Podcast, the podcast about cultural and cultural nomads designed for Blacks and Asians and those who love them. I'm your host, Mosible, Nigerian-born, U.S. educated, Korean-speaking, struggling intellectual. Today, we'll be talking about the C word, cancer. Cancer has become a major source of morbidity and mortality globally. And despite the many threats that cancer poses to public health in um, our neck of the woods, sub-Saharan Africa, like Nigeria, we don't have a lot of uh, data on cancer incidents, meaning the number of new cases. And, of course, the health infrastructure as a whole too, um, is weak in some, most African countries in such a way that they don't cover for non-infectious diseases like cancers. But then with the growing population and westernization and changing diets and lifestyle, people becoming more sedentary and all that, um, and coupled with you know, genetic factors, um, cancer is on the rise. And so today I have on the show someone who has survived cancer, not once, but twice. And we're going to share his story and not just talking about you know, the cancer continuum. So when you think about the cancer continuum, the things you want to look at, um, like um, pre-screening, screening, diagnosis, treatment, and then survivorship. He didn't just stop at that last bus stop of survivorship. He went beyond that and went into advocacy. And I met him, best believe it, on LinkedIn. He was suggested as a contact to be added on my LinkedIn. I tried to ignore those kind of things, but I clicked on his profile and I thought to myself, oh, wow, what an interesting, you know, fellow. What a, um, what a very, I think, I thought he was, he gave up the vibe of someone I was giving. And in the sense that I don't want what happened to me to happen to somebody. And it's one of the things I'm about as well. So when I see that in people, I try to like, you know, um, Commander. So his name is uh, Mr. Larry Jacob. He's a playwright. He's a cancer survivor two times. He's an oncology researcher. He calls himself that as well. He graduated from the University of Lagos in 1999 with a Bachelor of Arts degree in Yoruba and Linguistics. As a playwright, his works have included um, plays like The Courage of an African Amazon, who that's the legend of Morami Ajasaro. Um, his, his journey with cancer began when he was 10 years old. And because of the recurrent nature of that cancer, it's dermatofibrosarcoma protuberance, which happened to him in his scalp. He had to go through a lot of, you know, because it's a severely distressing um, and dangerous surgery in his head. And not even allowing that to dampen his spirits, he's had like a 30-year cancer experience, but he's taking that to um, turn that all around to include an advocacy through his foundation and also using his writing talents to come up with a handbook for cancer education in Nigeria. Another thing I like about him is that he goes into the grassroots, like he goes to the community, he goes to rural areas to educate people on cancer and also how they can, in a way, improve their, if they, just to know their numbers and, you know, um, be more proactive when it comes to their health. Um, he established the Larry Jacob Sarcoma Cancer Foundation in 2006 and he's been working strongly since then to support, you know, people with cancer and cancer survivors. So without further ado, um, everyone join me in welcoming this phenomenal person, Mr. Larry Jacob, to the show. Hello, sir. Hello, Mo. Um, so nice to be with you on your show. And I'm uh, so grateful for uh, uh, bringing you on your show so that I can uh, tell you whatever my story that many can learn from my experience and then, uh, you know, can uh, be better off in terms of their health, particularly when it comes to issue of cancer. I agree with that. Thank you so much for coming on the show as well. So let's just start with from the you know, very beginning. Can you tell us a little bit more about the type of cancer you had? Dermatofibrosarcoma protuberance? Yeah, the, it was uh, dermatofibrosarcoma protuberance. Uh, like you uh, mentioned in your uh, prologue, it occurred to me when I was just 10 years old. Um, and uh, it uh, recorded several leading to many surgical operations uh, in my scalp or on the head. So that's it. It was. DFSP, dermatofibrosarcoma. Yeah, DFSP. Um, from what I've read about it, I mean, it's a rare kind of cancer. It's mostly benign, um, but there could be some other complications that might make it malignant. And the way you described it to me before we started taking the show was that yours was malignant, right? Yeah, 
Well, like you mentioned, uh, it, DFSP is a real type of cancer that causes tumor in the deep layer of the skin, yeah. uh, especially at the dermal layer. Yes. Uh, so it's a soft tissue that come and affect skin yeah. and the yeah. muscles and um, similar tissues, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in my case, it was malignant. Oh. Wow. Uh, so, and because of that, um, uh, with every surgical operation that has happened, a, a, a recurrence uh, followed. So, and uh, the recurrence uh, was like, uh, but uh, eight times, uh, I had about eight surgeries in my scalp. Eight surgeries? Uh, yeah. Wow. So for those that, are, that might not remember or that might not know the differences between, you know, benign and malignant. So when you call the cancer benign or tumor benign, it means it does not spread into its surrounding tissue or spread around. Yeah. It stays yeah. in situ, you know, it stays in one place. A malignant yeah. one um, that, you know, invades the body and it can metastasize. As the tendency to metastasize to other parts of the body. Yeah. that's quite dangerous. All right. Um, oh wow, so I just want to, I mean, at 10 years old, and from the pictures of what I've seen about, because I haven't experienced that even when I was practicing as a pharmacist in the hospital, I have never seen that kind of cancer before, but it's so visible, you can see it, I mean, that's what they call it, a, a protuberance, people can see it, I just want to know, what was your quality of life like that, and how would you say, you know, just having that at a very tender age, how that affected or shaped your life as a well? Yeah, well, the issue is, we did not know it had anything to do with cancer, uh, at the initial stage, uh, it was the growth was very slow. You know, it, was, it started as a small growth on the head. My parents thought I was uh, I played uh, overplayed and uh, you know, had uh, some injuries on on the head. So we didn't connect it with uh, cancer at the initial stage until we we discovered that the the growth uh, began continue to increase in size, became like finger like. Uh, it, yeah, it started at 10, but it was about seven years after, before I actually had the first surgery, before mm. the tumor was removed. So um, we did not connect it. We were so ignorant. My parents were peasant farmers. I was in the village, you know, going to school. Uh, so, and then we went to a private hospital. The doctor did not um, uh, you know, give us any insight into what it could be, uh, what it did for us. To remove the tumor, and then I went home, believing that everything is over. Hmm. So, so seven years, seven years it took for them to finally take it seriously. Um, yeah. I just wanna. This is just me being a little bit um, stereotypical right now. So I just imagine you guys being, you know, not in the city. Uh, your, like you said, your parents were farmers, and they probably didn't even know what's going on. They, like you said, they thought you, you know, you bumped your head, and that was what. What are some other things they did? Like maybe took you to the approach, approach to yes, yeah. um, church in, or or um, traditional traditionalist like prayer or you know things that were done just to make this go away. Yeah, in the in those first seven years, we that we that we couldn't connect it to cancer. We didn't we didn't uh, we're not going uh, uh, to places. Um, we're not going to places at the, at the initial stage. It was uh, after the. Second surgery, we began to you know, think about could it be spiritual? Mm. And uh, let me tell you, people were telling us we, we go to herbalist and they tell us it is spiritual. We, we go mm. to spiritualist and they will tell you it has a, a, some spiritual dimension, you know, witchcrafts, uh, you know, diabolic forces, in, uh, you know, yeah. causing it. And so sacrifices and a lot of nothing to do with. Uh, Wow. I just want to imagine that a cancer you live for that long of a time. I mean, that's a long time to, you know, just let a cancer be. Now, um, even thinking about you being a young boy and that happening to you, did you were you stigmatized? Did that affect your, you know, your your body image? Did you have any body image issues? Did you, you know, were you heavy? Not, not at all. Um, I, the, the, you see, I think the the advantage I had in those days was uh, I actually was a Young brilliant boy, academically. Oh, okay, uh, I and see that. So, yeah, <laughs> I I was always uh, on top of my class, and so oh. I think that made up for me uh, in terms of uh, the psychological uh, angle. And I was so I have from from my from my uh, uh, from the early stage of my life, I have this yeah. mind that actually helped me to do life, you know, during the traumas and uh, the challenges without. I, I was not looking at the, the problem, even though my mate, you know, uh, 
uh, in primary school, we always count me Alade Humo. Oh, Alade like Alade has a horn. Alade, Alade with horn on it. Oh no, Alade grew Alade grew a horn. Oh my goodness, kids are Alade. terrible. Yeah, so you see, you see guys dancing around and saying, you know, oh. but it, it, it didn't uh, enter into me because you know the academic. Aspect psychologically. Also, and true, I'm telling you, until I graduated at, uh, at Unilag, I was not, I was not seeing the challenge. I was not actually seeing it. I discovered gifts very early, even from the age of ten. I started writing drama from from the age of ten, and uh, I was brilliant. So that occupied my mind rather than. Uh, okay the challenge all right so you talked about we talked about ignorance talked about like detection calls to action and even some of the odyssey you went through with you know diagnosis and all that now um you said you've had seven surgeries you know yeah. what, what's the prognosis now and is there any fear of recurrence what is the rate of recurrence as well for this kind of cancer you had yeah the, um actually my case also uh the treatment was based uh, solely on surgery and uh, I think if, if you look, if you if you look at my head right now, you know you have a, you have the amount of skin on the on the head is quite small. Uh, removal of the most part of the uh, skin on uh, on the head, so you know it, it was the whole tumor was removed, you know, and then scraped to the scalp. So the the possibility for for recurrence is actually very very uh, remote. Very remote, yeah. And I mean from. Little I know about the cancer, it doesn't grow to be that big. And I'm imagining that the reason yours got to be that big was because it was left, they didn't do anything, they didn't attack you right away. Definitely, yeah. yeah. It was because uh, it, it was reported late uh, at uh, uh, the hospital. Yeah, because it, start, it, it starts more like a little pimple and then it goes to a ball. But yours, like, you know, had like a whole, because the picture from what you, you know, I've seen of it that you shared on your website, that yeah. was a lot. That's, you know, and that just shows that. It wasn't. It wasn't attended to in time. So what I'm, what I was trying, you know, pick out from that was, is that I think we can use the opportunity for a call to action. That whatever will go bad will go bad, and we can complicate things by just not when we don't attend to them, when we, you know, shut them on time. Yeah. So I want you to speak to that for those that might be listening. Maybe those that they have something that they know is wrong in their body, and you know, they they just wanna, they think it's just gonna go away, you know, by itself. What was the danger of just leaving things be? Actually, that is uh, a major part of our campaign, uh, advocacy in Nigeria. Looking back at my own experience, actually, it, it is by grace that I'm alive. It could have led to my death. Uh, you know, so we, we educate people on early uh, report of uh, symptoms. You know, it, it is quite dangerous to allow uh, symptoms to, to, to persist in the body. Uh, and that is why WHO estimated that in Nigeria that four out of every five people that have cancer die eventually of the deadly disease. Yeah. It is because of this general ignorance about cancer, the symptoms, you know, and, and, and then even where to go, you know, who to talk to. So these are the things we do here. You know, it is dangerous to allow symptoms to persist. Early presentation of uh, cases, whatever the cancer that might be, you know, uh, eventually uh, uh, give way to. Yeah, I mean, uh, if the, the, your, your chances, your prognosis will be better if things are detected early. Yeah. yeah. And thank you for that. And I think um, another question I had in regards to this would be the cost of it. Yeah. You had several surgeries. How were you able to, yeah. knowing what I know about, you know, cost of care in Nigeria, how were you able to afford, you know, the surgeries you had? Well, uh, at the early stage, at the early stages, you know, my parents were bearing the body, financial body, and uh, when I grew up and I started uh, working, I, I joined in the in the bearing of the body. And uh, I think the most challenging uh, surgical operation was 2001. Uh, that is the picture you you talk about. Oh yeah. Uh, the, the balloon size uh, tumor. Yeah. They were actually to one, one on the side, the other one at the back. Wow. It was, was most challenging. But uh, by the grace of God, where my mom actually at that time had to sell uh, some of his cocoa farms, you know. Wow. Uh, to make sure that uh, we were able to meet up. 
but uh, beyond what we had, God really showed himself as, as God in my case. Uh, most of what I supposed to pay, uh, I, I didn't pay, you know, there was divine intervention, and I, I would call it divine intervention because it was actually good that worked on me. Or, or if not, I could have died in the process because yeah. uh, of lack of uh, sufficient resources. So let's let's talk about some of the structural problem in Nigeria. I mean, there's so many things we can start picking up. So um, I I've had a somewhat close call to cancer. I had a father figure that died of it, and he had prostate cancer. And so that was what really encouraged me in a way to explore more on cancer, and basically find answers to some of the questions I had about why. People die from cancer, especially cancers that are easily detectable and cancers that had um, a higher odds of survival. So in looking at just how even the current budget right now in Nigeria, according to the National um, Health Act, we don't even have like funds. Number one, the budget is low. We spend, I don't know how much, maybe point something percent of our whole budget on health. And all of that health, there seems to be nothing really in place like for cancer. A lot of work has been done in reducing malaria and reducing HIV, you know, which, you know, we understand those are equally important issues to look at. But I don't think we've done a lot with non-infectious diseases and cancers. A major drawback on the cancer control plan is funding. The budgetary allocation for health increased in the 2018 budget, but it still does not have funds dedicated for health research in Nigeria. That's one. Second, it does not address how they plan to raise funds to assist themselves or even private companies or NGOs in carrying out the plans they laid down in the cancer control plan. So let's go at the capital budget. They increased it from $55 billion to $71 billion. That's a little bit okay. But however, the, if you look at the relative to the national budget, the health, the health sector allocation continues to drop from 5.97% in 2012 to 4% in 2018. And that to me, it, it's you know abysmal. If you consider that as a whole, our population keeps increasing. In yeah. fact, according to World Poverty Club, we are the we are the poverty capital of the world. Of the world, right now. Beating India, and you know, because of our looming, you know, um, population. Then, yeah. according to the plan they had in, I think, fifteen years ago, the the Abuja Abuja Declaration. This was in twenty thousand and one. Nigeria committed to increasing its spending on health. This is a reality of the of the situation. Without yeah, people, we're, we're gonna have people dying of cancer. Like there's no, there's no, you know, um, going away from that. It's just gonna be one of those inevitable truths you have to hold on to. And so, um, I just I was just curious to hear what you for someone that has been through that system of you know detection, even the treatment, everything you had to go through. Can you speak on you know just what that entailed? And I really would like for you to especially talk about the frustration and opportunities for growth as far as, you know, Nigerian cancer health um, infrastructure is concerned. Yeah, I think uh, generally it is lack of uh, focus, you know, uh, and uh, again, it is lack of uh, proper planning. You know, like you mentioned, uh, our our population keeps growing and um, there are no plans, you know, for the growing population uh, in terms of education, in terms of health, in terms of uh, uh, there, there are no commensurate increase uh, uh, in infrastructure, you know. So, and the population keep, keeps uh, growing. So, uh, like you mentioned uh, yesterday or recently, I mean, recently I was uh, at uh, Lagos University Teaching Hospital and uh, we're discussing, you know, to, to go through radiotherapy for one month. Yeah. Yes, you know, and uh, for every consultation, uh, patients pay like fifteen thousand naira. That's but, that's just you know. That, I mean, then, how, how are they going to subside the cost of therapy? Like you're right. Like the cost of therapy, for example, ranges from hundred thousand naira to six hundred thousand naira in a country where the minimum wage is thirty thousand, and seventy percent of the population lives below. Hello, mo. Yeah? Hello mo. yeah. I am telling you that in in uh, in uh, in Lut, in one of the hospitals in Nigeria. Yeah, the cost of Yeah, it is. For, to go through radiotherapy for a month is seven hundred and fifty thousand naira. What? Who who can for a month? Like, who who can afford that? Yeah. And this doesn't even include chemotherapy. Oh. It doesn't include the no, 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 no. It no, doesn't those, include all yeah. of the missionaries requirements. Yeah, so, that you, 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 doing that journey. Yeah. So 
it is it is the, the cost of you know cancer treatment or cancer management in Nigeria is, is so high. And then so like you said, there are no uh, measures uh, to subsidize. I know. There's no. So, there's no. This is this there, like an emergency plan. There are no measures to encourage the private sector the participation, you know, in, the, in, in providing the infrastructures, and the government is not actually focused. They're not. You know, not, you know health is not is not their priority. It's not a priority. We treat health like a luxury, like it's something so, that you can so, just so, check on the box. Because it is because the politicians have the resources to travel out to take care of themselves. You know, there are no there are no there are no existing laws that that checkmate. You know, them from, 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 doing that, from going abroad to treat themselves when it comes to uh, their health. But the, the, the rural population, the population in the urban city are, are, are left to you know, face the consequences of uh, their health challenges. So I, I think my thought is, and what we talk about in the country is government encouraging uh, private participation in, uh, in uh, building infrastructure in the health sector, especially uh, in, the, in the cancer care uh, sector. The health sector in Nigeria is experiencing acute shortage of infrastructure. Yes. Uh, like I mentioned, uh, the, the treatment uh, cost is going higher and higher. The, yeah. the population are getting poorer and poorer. And so uh, you know, uh, and more and more people are dying of cancer. I, like I said, what we do here is encourage the government to uh, open door for private sector participation in building infrastructure in the health sector, especially in cancer care. Yes. So um, uh, with that, we, I believe that uh, if more uh, participation uh, comes in, uh, people will, there will be competition. Because the reason why uh, radiotherapy is 750,000 yes. at Monopoly, is, because, yeah. is because there's a monopoly. Yeah. Some companies in South Africa came uh, you know, uh, and went into partnership with the federal government, you know, Created, you know, a, a, a cancer center at Lourdes, and then the cost went uh, uh, sporadic. So, uh, but, but you know, and there, there are no, there are no cushions, there are no subsidy, and and the rest you know, of why, why do we have to get people from South Africa, or even why do we have to go all the way? Are there not people in Nigeria that, you know, they can meet up this challenge of providing, you know, affordable screening tests or even affordable therapy services? For things as important as cancer, that we have to go all the way to South Africa to bring people in. Of course, they, they will have to. The, the politicians want somebody where they can, you know, get their cuts and their and their um, percentages from. You see, now that is a big challenge, you know. Again, but there is a big challenge now, except for Lagos State Government in Nigeria, that has functional uh, primary healthcare system. In most states in Nigeria, the primary healthcare system is is so bad. You know, in some states they are not they are not functional. Now, what we advocate is that cancer, a uh, certain uh, level of cancer uh, care should be should be divulged to the primary healthcare system uh, I agree. Uh, level. I agree. Yeah, to reduce the burden on so, the tertiary hospitals. The, the, there is so much burden on the tertiary and the secondary uh, yeah. uh, uh, institutions yeah. that mm-hmm. are not actually well equipped. Mm-hmm. You know that that the volume of have, the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know the tertiary. There's so much burden because the, the the equipment are not uh, uh, sufficient. There's there are no sufficient. And some of them are outdated. I even heard I'm that how many MRI scanners are in the whole country. I'm telling you, except for the uh, the, the upgrade at uh, Lutz that, uh, that I'm talking about through the South African uh, partnership. Yeah. A lot of a lot of a lot of uh, cancer machines in Nigeria have become uh, unfunctional. Yeah, and then coupled with the you know, light and all of that, I've heard of people traveling all the way from you know the north to visit Lagos for treatment, or people having to like send samples to other parts of the world to you know have them read out because they couldn't conduct those you know um, preliminary findings in the country. Yeah. So there's so many issues that are plaguing us, and and yeah, it's a policy issue. We have that you know policy aspect of it, and I feel like if people were to understand that. There's something at risk here when uh, people that we've put in power to or in a position to take care of things as simple, well, not simple, but as complex, simple and complex as our health, I'm making it priority. And that's a problem. We need to change our strategy of making sure that we're bringing in people in, right people in. And even going back to your argument about primary health care centers, those need to be equipped because they, they are in those grassroots communities. They are in places where you might not find a lot of tertiary 
or secondary um, institutions, there should be yeah. the safety net, there should be the first you know, line of defense. So not just malaria, yeah, we know we've done a lot with malaria. We know malaria kills. Cancer too can kill and it can, you know, it's equally even, even more damaging than, you know, malaria can be. And I feel like if they equip these centers so that those are in that community, because the advantage of having primary health care centers is they're located in a community where they have people that speak the language, they know the norms, they know the customs. Yeah. So we need to start working that way up and reduce the burden in tertiary institutions and also equip our tertiary institutions to be doing more research, you know, in epidemiology, in, in um, risk control, in, in advocacy, and many things. But if they're in, involved in so many things that the primary and secondary, you know, institutions could have done, it's just too much of a work on them. Yeah. yeah I, work with, I work with cancer researchers back home, and I'm part of a consortium that is global, and we have a lot of Nigerians there. And the Nigerians in, the, in that consortium for prostate cancer specifically, they do a lot of, I mean, the things they talk about, the things, the challenges they have, you know, even to like lights, like storing samples. I know someone that pays like maybe like almost thirty, forty thousand dollars naira every month to make sure that they have like a, a steady um, coaching supply, meaning their samples in the refrigerator, the light can never go. So imagine having to leave that freezer on two, four, seven, because if yeah. there's a drop in temperature, you're going to contaminate your samples. They have to pay out of pocket for that. And that just boggles my mind because, I mean, I used to live in Nigeria, but I haven't lived here in the U.S. for a while. Things like that, you don't even think about because there's always light. You know, we don't worry about that. We focus yeah. use our brains for things. We can save all of our energy for like to like solve real problems, not having to worry. As Hello, as we're speaking now, I'm actually facing the, uh, the light challenge as, as we're speaking. Oh, wow. Yeah, where, where, where I'm sitting, where I'm sitting. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So those are another problem is we don't even have a cancer registry. We don't have we don't have numbers on the epidemiology of certain, of certain cancers. We don't know yeah. the, the number of new incidents of new cases. We don't know how many people are suffering from this. And if we don't set up all those things, we don't become very attractive for global clinical trials. And I feel like Nigeria as a whole is primed to solve a lot of problems that Africa faces because we have the number. I want to talk about diseases. Numbers is a number game. You know what is the denominator? What is the total population? And of this total population, who are those at risk? And I see that problem with HIV as well, because I used to work in a HIV clinic. I was a HIV pharmacist, and that was where PEPFAR was still the, you know, PEPFAR now has kind of shifted to AP and whatnot. And PEPFAR, for those that might be listening, it was, it was set up by Bush way back, you know, in the early 2000s. It was called the President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief in Africa. And what they did was to set up um, centers in Africa, to especially developing countries, to help with the incidence of HIV. And they did a lot of work. But um, you can see that there's some infrastructural problems right now with PEFA. Well, it's been going on for a while. And in that, the Nigerian government has not done its job to match up, you know, with the requirements for PEFA. So according to the agreement that they had, the health funding in Nigeria was supposed to match, I think, 15% or so to cover, you know, um, if like some of the, I want to say salaries and things that they needed. But the government has not been able to do that. So PEFA has been pulling out. And now they've even called out for a new strategy um, to accelerate implementation in 13 high burden countries that have the potential to achieve a, the HIV control by 2020. And these 13 countries are, you know, Botswana, Cote d'Ivoire, Haiti, Kenya, Lesotho, Malawi, Namibia, Rwanda, Swaziland, and, you know, Zimbabwe and, and three other countries. Nigeria was not there. Nigeria was not there. And according to the, um, the lady that, what's her name? I forget her name. Burks, yeah, she's like an ambassador for PEPFAR things related to countries like that. She said that they're 30 years into the HIV pandemic and they need to know the prevalence with a confidence interval of 0.5 and they cannot plan a program and what the resources needed are when they don't really know how many HIV positive clients there are, like how many yeah. women, how many children, how many men. We don't have that numbers in Nigeria yeah. and they need to plan. So you're telling me that for the past how many years that we've been, PEPFAR has been here, the government hasn't even done their own due diligence to have, you know, a number like the, the statistics they need to plan, okay, how many patients we have. Because here what happens here is that if you have, if you go test for HIV and you're positive, they follow up with you and they update their servers. They move from cities to states to the um, other states and then federal level. So they are real-time updates to like new cases and they want to follow up. Okay, they, they now do contact tracing. Who, how are you exposed? Who are those that we need to talk to about your know, exposure? And so they curb it. So HIV incidence has really dropped a lot in the U.S. now as a whole, but then we still have some issues with men, men who have sex with men. There's you know, increased risk of that due to co-infections and all that. But in Nigeria now, 
we've had that number go down, but now we're seeing high rates of HIV, especially between mother to child transmission. Yeah. So the problem we see, these are systemic problems that systemic have problem. trickled down to, you know, other areas. And I trust HIV because it's about the only success story that I have seen so far. If we do now, we have to be very, you know, I can't even see success in my whole mouth because Nigeria has a lot of youth, like under 30, and with our looming, you know, population, HIV is, it's not looking good, basically. The gains we have succeeded in having before, we might have to just, you know, exactly. It might become a thing of the past, which doesn't make sense to me because the world is connected now and we can't just see that it's not my problem anymore. Nigeria, there are a lot of eyes on us. Like we need to, the government needs to step up on the plate. Yeah, I, 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 there's, there's no doubt to that, and there's no, there's, there's no uh, dodging it. There's no other way uh, than for the government to sit up and uh, uh, put up uh, uh, policies and make sure that policies are implemented uh, with diligence. Uh, you mentioned diligence the other time. You know, the government has to be focused. They have to know their areas of priority, especially in the area of health, the area of education of the people. Today we talk about a lot of crises in Nigeria, uh, insecurity in the north everywhere, kidnapping uh, and killings. Uh, because those who engage in these things, by the time you go uh, back and uh, examine who, who, who are these people, you see that they are the it's those that have been left behind in terms of education, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then they, they, are, they, are, they have grown up and they, you know, they, 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 they economically, you know, they have to assist. And so yep. uh, what I is actually finding is... Uh, it's kind of like that cancer you had, like, you know, you let it be for a while and then it gets what's going to grow, grow, and then come back and, you know. Yeah, I, you know, thinking that it will disappear. You know, no, maybe by, it's by not going to go away. No. By some black soap or by some prayers. <laughs> oh, or anointed what, oil or whatever. Uh, uh, even that. I, you know, <laughs> I possibly have told you of a, of a, <laughs> a herbalist that uh, took my goods. You know. <laughs> Can you tell that story again? I, I, for the yeah, sake of no, this, I don't know. I, you know it was, you know, I, I met them at the Donry, and they told me it was... That's uh, on Dostoy, right? That hill, yeah. Donry Hill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was uh, that, that were in charge. Uh, that uh, the, some forces, uh, the witches, were, were the cause of the problem. I have to do, uh, do some sacrifice. And so the master should bring uh, one uh, big goat, uh, you know, she goat, you know, with... Uh, with uh, Bearded uh, uh, she goat. A bearded, well, that's like a trans goat, right? A, a, a female goat with beards. Yes. Mm. Uh, so you know, when when a she goat becomes uh, very big, begin to grow. So we look for money and bought that. I took some other things, uh, white cloths, uh, and uh, with money, you know, wow. went to Idori. And uh, the man and the family and some other and his uh, uh, gang, they, 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 they killed the goat. He told me I, I must not t- uh, taste of it. So I, I sat down watching them uh, finish the goat. And they ate it. Day, yeah, they ate it. Oh, they, they killed it and prepared it right there. I'm telling you, uh, right? I was, I was there. Wait, you know, was their money back guarantee? Did they, did they give you like a 30 day money return policy in case you know the thing didn't come? Because you can come and get your money back. <laughs> did they, did they, have you heard about that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> So oh in the next day, the yeah. next day in the morning, I slept uh, you know, in, the, in the man's room where he, he had his shrine. Okay. You know? So in the, the next day, I slept. Thank God, I woke up. Uh, I, I, I discovered that I was still alive. Uh, so, and I was alone. Nobody followed me from my. No member of my family followed me. So I, in the, in the, in the next morning, the man called me and said, uh, "What's the uh, why? What's mm-hmm. the?" Uh, the owner of the world. You understand yeah. what it is? Like the principalities and powers, yeah. For lack what, of they yeah. What, what, they, what they told him was that my solution is not a, it's not as weird an hospital. <laughs> I'm sorry. You had to you had to spend a night a night stay and then they took your goat and then he told you that. Well I'm telling you said, I can call said, the man many things, but at least he was being honest after eating your gut. Yeah, uh, very honest. <laughs> <laughs> how many how many goods were sacrificed for that revelation? Oh wow! Uh, you know, it was it is it is what actually uh, unfortunately <clears throat> it is what uh, many are uh, going through because yes. ignorance persists, and that is why uh, advocacy is important more and more 
uh, hands are needed Good, yeah. in uh, cancer advocates in Nigeria. Yeah. And, and I want to also say that, especially for survivors like you, you, you yeah. can drive that it's, message it's home. Exactly. Yeah, because exactly. you survived it. You can, you can let people know your process. And that's why I feel like the key to advocacy is to engage in survivors to be able to share yeah. the story and the process. Exactly. And uh, yeah, I, I, what I'm trying to do now is, uh, like I told you, I'm putting up a, a documentary about my yeah. story. It's going yeah. to be out uh, on YouTube very soon. And I'm, going to, I'm, I'm starting a program uh, on, on uh, TV in Nigeria, you know, uh, a 30 minute uh, cancer program also. Yeah. Uh, invite a, a medical expert to talk about cancer. And I, I'm having a plan, like you just said, the thought came to me about a few days ago when I was at Lutz. You know, uh, the gathering of uh, uh, survivors uh, and uh, the, for the purpose of encouraging uh, those who are passing through cancer. Yes. Uh, one cancer or the other. So I'm, I, I'm, I'm thinking about that and by God's grace, I'm going to work on it. Well, let's know how we can help you on the show. I love that. I love, you know, help people find community. And I love the positive message as well of, you know, yeah, you know, cancer, cancer comes with a lot of negative news. But when you survived it, that's, that's, you know, that's positive to a large extent. And you, if you, things that you probably learned, you can, you know, share with somebody and, you know, exchange information, exchange, you know, processes and see how you can even help the next person. Now, quickly, yeah. um, talk about that ignorance. And I just want to say this, that if your car were to be broken down, you're not going to take your car to the plumber to go fix, you know. And yeah. while prayers are good, you know, I'm a Christian. I belong to the Christian faith. Augment it, please, you know. Some things, prayers, prayer solves everything, and then prayer and works as well can solve everything, right? And, you know, God is not going to bring, you know, a magician from heaven down to come and lay hands on you or, or whatever. But, you know. What? And can I say something about Sure, that? sure, go ahead. You know, about that, like you mentioned, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I'm a, a, a real Christian in the, in the, in the recess of it. I, I encourage people here, pray. My life is product of prayer. My life is product of grace. Yeah. You know, and all I've discovered that when you pray, yeah, God leads you right. He directs your step to where the solution is. Yes. You know, it takes you to the right, right medical facility, right medical personnel. You know, that is what prayer can do. But then, you know, talking about the the the, the, the medical, God has helped man to institute medicine. Or, yes. or, or hospital. A lot of advancements have been made in medicine. Yes. Yeah. So it is. It is. It is God that helped man actually to to, to discover medicine and, and to institute it is for the good of man. And so, if anybody uh, by ignorance is trying to avoid it, it is actually to it is very dangerous. I agree with that. Now, uh, let's talk a little bit about um, just the church aspect of it. Like, we, I think it's a good segue. So let's talk about religiosity and cancer. Um, I'm not very encouraged with the way I feel like our religious institutions back home haven't stepped up the plate in advocating for, um, you know, cancer as a whole, right? And even with HIV, but we can talk about that. I can understand with HIV and the um, lifestyle components. People might be a little bit iffy talking about that. So my question for you is like two points. First, um, like I said, I used to work with HIV patients and it used to be heavily stigmatized. Nowadays, you can still say you, ha- you have HIV and people don't look at you anyways. What I don't know is, why do you think cancer is so heavily stigmatized that we don't talk about it? And then two, how do you think pastors, especially those that are listening, and imams and religious leaders, whatever titles they have, can what role can they play in basically improving the health of a nation? Because they have such a huge impact on the populace that most politicians have. For, possible women won't believe what their politicians will say to them, but they'll believe what their pastor said or their imam said. And so that's where the power is nowadays. And yeah. even how really bad things have been recently, a lot of people have turned to religion a lot more as a coping mechanism. So for those people in those religious leadership positions, if they may be listening to this, how would you charge them to engage their audience or congregation differently? Yeah. Um, and that is why uh, answering your question, uh, we also take uh, cancer. Uh, when our cancer education uh, programs are not limited to uh, schools or hospitals and other, we also go to uh, religious houses, churches, and uh, mosques to educate people uh, that early presentation of cancer also affect uh, the outcome, you know, positively yeah. or negatively. You know, depending on when it is reported, 
So what the, the religious uh, leaders must uh, know that, uh, must be aware themselves. Uh, even though, like you said, I'm also a believer, I'm, I'm a Christian, I know that uh, certain uh, disease or sicknesses could have spiritual uh, uh, dimension. Mm -hmm. uh, but, yeah, the sicknesses and diseases could have, actually have a spiritual mm -hmm. dimension. But while the spiritual dimension is, is being taken care of through prayers and other uh, religious activities, uh, the other side, the flip side, should not be ignored, which is uh, uh, taking uh, uh, whatever the case is, whether it is cancer or any mm -hmm. other disease, uh, presenting them early in the hospital and uh, to the right uh, medical personnel for attention. So I think uh, it, 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 the religious leaders uh, need to be aware uh, that while the spiritual would, would do its part, you know, God has also instituted the, uh, exactly. the medical, you know, to take exactly. care of the, yeah. the, the medical uh, yeah. side. Like you won't take your car to the um, plumber's place to fix for you, right? No, you take your car Never. to the mechanic. The mechanic will do the job. You pray to God that God yeah. let them not charge him too much. Yeah, that's two different functions. Or let, or let them, let them. What is wrong with it? Or they will keep um, so um, fixing one and another thing will pop up. You know, you go where you go where yeah, the resources exactly. are to make it get better. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Now, uh, the religious leaders. I think we have talked. Uh, we, we talk about uh, the, uh, the spiritual and then the medical. Yeah. It's the the spiritual leaders have to give the right orientation to their congregation. But then, in most cases, people cannot give what they don't have. We have discovered that a lot of religious leaders actually need information about cancer. A lot of them are not informed. And not, a lot of them, you know, uh, because of their ignorance, they, they, they want to they, they continue to encourage. I, I, I met a woman who is also who is a pastor herself. Yeah. For three years, he had a breast cancer. She had breast cancer? I'm telling you, the, the, the breast was decaying and she refused to go to hospital. No time she died. Until we went for a grassroots program and the daughters met me, saw my story and uh, was so uh, uh, was so happy meeting me. And it was that day, it, it took me to the, to the woman who met her in the church and you know, holding a program. And said, it, you know, she re I talked to her, even telling her about my story. She refused. Huh. But eventually, by God's grace, you know, she she uh, she capitulated and she, she took the case to hospital that very day. And uh, she still she's still alive, and doing well. So it is ignorance. It is you know lack of awareness, both on the part of people, you know, even a lot of religious uh, religious leaders. Well, um, stigmatization is uh, heavily associated with uh, cancer in Nigeria. And uh, that is why uh, people, uh, some people don't want to talk about their case. That is why some uh, uh, survivors don't want to come out to uh, talk about their experience. So, but uh, we encourage survivors using my case, my, my personal uh, experience, to encourage their survivors to, to uh, come out of their shells so that others can live by the sharing of their experiences. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, but that's why I feel like education, like you said, and also survival advocacy can help out. Um, All right. I'm winding off now, rounding off now, and I'm just, I was just curious to know, so do you still do your yearly checkups? Have you screened for yeah. prostate cancer as well? I, do. I can. Well, I don't know how old you are, but if you're past 45... With I am... I am. I am, yeah, I'm, I, oh, okay. I'm 50. Have you talked to your doctor about your norm, about your your risk factors and all of that for prostate cancer, as well as possibly other health issues? Yeah, I, I, I every year annually I go for because you know the the the, the surgeries, the last three surgeries we actually done at uh, the Obafemi Awolowo University yeah. Hospital in Ife, Nigeria. So afterward, I was referred to Lagos University Hospital for for further um, care. And so that is where I uh, go uh, annually for, for, for medical yeah, checkup. Okay. And 
But to answer your question about yeah. uh, prostate cancer, uh, yeah, I've, I've not actually uh, submitted myself. Well, take this as your cue to action. You, you don't have to like do the test right away. Um, here's a suggestion, not just from me, but from you know, um, practice and also from research. Just talk to your doctor. Let them evaluate your, your risk factors and determine whether you need it or not. Baseline, they will tell you to do it, and then they can tell you to come back maybe every year or five years or ten years, depending on what they see. But at least you need to have a baseline. Um, yeah. So to anyone listening to this, if you're 50 and you, your skin is um, d- darker than white or milk, <laughs> um, talk to your doctors about your numbers. Like, let them do a proper, a proper workout for you. And if you've had a father that died of prostate cancer or that has had prostate cancer, your odds are a little bit higher. So the recommendation is at 45 if there's a family history. But talk to your doctors about your numbers, um, about your odds, about your family history as well, and things that are happening to you. And they can just do a, a whole workup of your body, almost like how you run a car and they run the code to find out what's going on, like a diagnostics. But you never know because some of these cancers, the symptoms don't show in time. So you might say, I feel fine, but are you really fine? You know, so um. Yeah, that is that is it's yes. always the issue. Yeah, like you say, your 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 advice is well taken. A sitting time will always save nine. Now, um, can you just tell us a so, little bit, running off? Let's just hear a little bit about your foundation, what it entails, how people can contact you, and if you need any kind of help or support. Yeah, the Language Jacobs Sarcoma Cancer Foundation was uh, established in 2014, and uh, it was born out of my 30-year cancer experience, our vision is actually to uh, help reduce uh, the incidence of uh, uh, cancer in the country and uh, to help also to reduce uh, uh, the number of deaths uh, as a result of cancer uh, in Nigeria. Um, our cardinal objective is cancer education. Like I said uh, earlier, that possibly I will not, my case will not have lasted mm. for 30 years if uh, if, if 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 my case had been presented uh, mm-hmm. in the, uh, mm-hmm. earlier and uh, to the right uh, medical personnel, uh, so I understand the 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 the, the, the impact of ignorance, you know, in the, uh, when we talk about cancer. So because from my experience, I know that it is uh, not easy to uh, bounce back after uh, you know experience of uh, experience with cancer so we also have programs for cancer survivors uh, we also support uh, people with cancer so we we help people to have to have uh, access to cancer screening now we what we do is we work with the state government uh, through their ministry of health and uh, through the healthcare boards in the states since 2017 we have been working with the legal state uh, government for instance uh, we have um, approval to educate uh, people in all their primary healthcare centers, which were which we started in 2018. Uh, we also have access to the, all the communities in the state. Uh, we are actually working very hard to to reach to you know to all these communities. Uh, so basically, uh, we are making impact, you know, uh, in in the country. And um, our aim is to expand our activities uh, as uh, we see help or we receive help yeah. uh, uh, in what in what we are doing. So, uh, in terms of uh, support needed, well, our national cancer awareness projects, uh, patient support outreaches, they are big and uh, require huge material and uh, financial support. So. Our foundation needs uh, financial support from both uh, local uh, donors, international donors, and the rest uh, of them. We also have started a, a cancer advocacy using the instrument of uh, cancer documentaries. Mm-hmm. Very soon, uh, my my 30 year uh, cancer experience is being put together as a documentary, so it's, it's going to be out very soon. And um, uh, we are we we're also putting together TV shows, you know. Uh, I'm a production person. I'm a script writer. I I, I'm a, I I write books. I publish books also. So I want. I'm bringing in my gifts, talents, to bear in the in the cancer advocacy uh, through documentaries and uh, TV shows. We we also have um, a, an LJ 
cancer studio here in Nigeria. We need uh, equipment, cameras, video editing yeah. equipment for our yeah. productions, uh, so that the dream, uh, you know, can continue to be a reality. So how how can people find so you? So basically, we need finance. How can people find you to help to if they wanted to yeah. you know, donate towards you? Because I can't imagine. I mean, 30 years of your cancer experience, like all of that for 30 years. I mean, that's that's almost as old as I am. <laughs> so that's that's amazing. That's phenomenal. <laughs> I know, like that. Yeah, so, so yeah. how can how can I contact you as far as if they wanted to make donations to you or learn more about your work and see how to support you? Your email address or website or yeah. Instagram account or phone number. We have an email uh, address that I can give. Can I go on to do? Oh that? yeah, sure, please. Yeah, I'm I'm actually allowing to. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, our email address is uh, Larry Jacob Sakuma Foundation at gmail dot com. Um, our our website is. Uh, www.landridgecopsakumafoundation.blogspot.com uh, Our phone numbers uh, plus 234-8130-13-3902 uh, yeah. yeah. Alright. Well, I'm glad that you're, you're here and not just here, you're driving. You've, you've risen above that and you're using your voice and your talent to help people um, get where they need to be in time. Because cancer sometimes can be a time game. Yeah. If you don't get it detected in time, a lot can happen. So I want to thank you so much for uh, giving me the pleasure of sharing your story today. And um, if there's anything else we can do for you on the show, please let us know. And uh, I will put out your information as well. And yeah, that's all. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate you for bringing me on your show. Uh, Mo, I, I I pray that the Lord will continue to expand and increase uh, you and the, and, and, and the program. You know, thanks so much for bringing me on your show. Amen. Thank you, sir. Alright people, you've heard it um, Go on the website If you have any intentions Or if you'd like to donate to his cause And to support what he's doing So I want to thank you all for listening And I still remain your host Mosul. Bye Alright, Yes I would If I could I Yeah.